Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Wait, so you really want to make a podcast? Do, 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 do. Yeah, what if we just sang our um, music? Maybe we should get some real music, Samantha. The podcast king. Oh, you're still recording. Three. Survival Jobs is a podcast spotlighting artists, their side hustles, and their passions. Hosted by Samantha Titsolo and Jason A. Coombs. Boom. Sweet. Okay. Love it. Hi, Jason. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I feel like the theme every time you ask me how I am lately is like I'm tired, um, which I am. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm stressed. I'm really stressed about... Finding an apartment and getting my ass back to the city. I'm stressed about finding a job that's going to provide the income to support where I want to live and what I want to do. So I'm just like yeah. in this limbo of like stress and figuring it out and hoping everything falls into place. I have this big trip planned um, in the next couple of weeks and I'm going to Vegas. And yes. I know it's going to be great. But at the same time, I'm like, this was really poor planning on my part to do this giant trip right before I'm trying to like go back into my life. But you know what, Mm. you know, what happened with the pandemic, a friend group of mine, we all sort of like dispersed through different parts of the country. So we're, we're trying to do like a friend trip every year to get together at least once a year. Yeah. So this is just the timing of it. It's going to be great. I can't wait. I'm going to go see some friends in LA. I'm going to like bop around Vegas. I'm going to have a great time. Um, I'm just a little stressed. I'm not complaining. It's just how I feel. It's just my truth. I've actually been kind of doing something similar where I was like, hmm, let me kind of start planning like what's happening after the film fest. Like maybe I can just start thinking a little bit ahead, you know, (laughs) like, so, you know, after... By 25th, and I'm just like, oh shit, I gotta figure out my whole life. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe I will stay here for a little bit longer. And I was like, well, maybe I can start looking at like working in like a theater here because theaters are opening back up. Yeah. Minimum wage in Connecticut is ass. <laughs> a joke. Yeah. Especially like theater pay, regardless, is not great. So coming and out then- of this year and like, yeah. Um. <laughs> the struggle is what? real to like do what we like and be adults and not have survival jobs right we like it yeah. feel like we're i also want to know how many times i just said like but that can be another day i do that all the time uh i feel like you know for me i think i will have some sort of survival job for a while which is fine and it's nothing wrong with that it's just like exhausting samantha jason it's pride month i feel like happy we pride really... to you babe i know we haven't Thank you and it's like the weekend's coming. I think it's this upcoming weekend, right? Because the last it weekend is. in June. Yeah. Do you have any oh. plans for Pride? So, no. I am going on a family <laughs> trip. <laughs> I, I'm going on a family vacation, and it's not really a vacation. We're just taking my niece over to Mystic, which is yes, funny. I'll be there, too. Because you're going to be there, too. <laughs> How random. We're just going to take her to the aquarium. I know. And I usually, you know, what sucks is I'm, I'm such an ally. I, you know, I love my LGBTQ people. I love the community. (laughs) 90% of my friends are gay and I (laughs) always miss pride because my friend Ben, his birthday is the 27th. So we usually are like away. He always likes to in normal life when we're in the city, he usually likes to like do a little weekend. So I usually always fucking miss pride anyway, which always kind of sucks. Cause I would love to like be running around the streets, like screaming 
Yeah. Love. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> so are you celebrating Pride in any way? Are you going to go to the city or something? You, so you're going to no, Mystic. I'm going to Mystic. I'll be in Mystic um, with our former guest, T. Ashley. Shout it's out to Ashley. We love. Yes. Actually, her birthday, today's episode drops on her birthday, right? This is going to be 24. Thursday, 24. Yeah. So, yeah. Happy birthday, birthday, T. Ashley. We love you. Wait, (laughs) and you went to her book signing I saw on social media. Yeah, so this past weekend was Juneteenth. Yes. um, Which is now an official holiday. So As it should be. And also, like, how upsetting that it was voted against by so many people. My biggest problem with them making Juneteenth a holiday is that it's a very performative action where, like, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay... We're doing something nice, but like we want voting rights for Black people to be passed. Mm-hmm. We want reparations. We, I mean, right. we want to study reparations. You know, we want people to, you know, there's just so much more, you know, uh, criminal justice reform. There's like so many actual things that we want for, that right. will actually help Black people. And then right. we're just making like a holiday is like, it's like the very, very, very bare minimum. But it's awesome. Uh, Juneteenth is a, a great day. And um, yeah, we had um, T. Ashley uh, was in Bridgeport and she was at a, had a vendor table at this Juneteenth celebration and I was there promoting the promoting the film festival but I was also there supporting her oh, she sold so like nice. mad books y'all I was like yeah did she that's amazing right so that's fantastic so happy for her because you know she's an independent author so she's trying to get her name out there but she's doing the thing so well happy birthday Juneteenth thing. yeah and happy birthday to her <laughs> you know yeah, happy birthday, T, and yeah, happy Pride to everybody who's listening. Happy Pride. Yeah, it's going to be a great um, great weekend of Mystic. Happy Maybe Pride see to you, you, babe. <laughs> Maybe. I'm on family duty, though, which is like I've been on family duty since March 2020, so it's funny, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so um, today we're talking to my, my very good friend, Joe. Joe, Tony Award-winning producer. This is wow. true. Joe wears many, many, many hats. I feel like he's always, he reminds me of you a little bit, Jason. You know how I always say like, I've wanted to work with you for so long because you're always doing something and starting something new and always busy and keeping the dream alive. I feel like Joe is like that too. He's producing, he has a blog, he is in grad school. He'll talk, I'm sure he'll talk about a lot of this also, but I feel like he always is keeping busy and just trying to make shit happen. Give us his, give us, let us know about Joe since he's your good friend. Yeah. So he's a Tony award-winning theatrical producer, like you said, a finance blogger, a general manager and entrepreneur. Some of his favorite producing credits include our dear dead drug lord, Oscar at the Crown and co-producing Broadway's Waitress, Oh Hello, and The Band's Visit. Love all of those shows, by the way. He's a managing partner at Fourth Wall Theatricals, shout out, a firm which specializes in general management, ticket management, and group sales. In 2020, Joe started Creative Finance with Broadway Joe, a blog about personal finance and money management specifically for the arts community. Joe received his BFA in musical theater from the Boston Conservatory and is currently pursuing an MBA with the University of Illinois. He is a lifelong New York Jets fan and he loves to cook, he loves to travel, and he loves to play the guitar. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's go get him, Jason. This is going to be a fun time. Let's get him. I say that every every time I say let's go get the guest this is going to be a fun one but they all are because we're so lucky to have so many amazing fucking guests that's so true that's so true I'm really excited to talk to him because I don't know like I always I think producing is really cool you know obviously it's like you know 
And how do you, how, how does that happen? How does someone become a producer? That's what I, I want to know. So <laughs> maybe he'll tell us. Talk to him. Let's bring him into the Zoom room. <laughs> Let's go. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy yeah. you're here. Yeah, thank you so much for being our 12th guest. Is that right, Samantha? Okay, yes. I was about to say no, 13th. But 13th, 13th episode, but 12th guest. Okay. No, 11th, no. 11th guest, because we <laughs> we we had a no guest. Well, I guess technically we could say Ziggy was the guest last week. Jason's dog made some noises, so we pretty much just said he was the guest. So yes, All guest right. number 12. Y'all are moving and grooving. I love it. We are grooving. We're having a good old time over here. <laughs> no, I agree. I'm in agreement with that. <laughs> well, I've been How are you, though, Joe? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm living up in New Hampshire right now. I've left New York for the summer because I'm working at a theater up here and I'm enjoying the nature. I'm enjoying uh, the, the privacy, the quiet, the stars, all of it. It's been great. Wait, tell us what you're doing. You're the creative director, right? Well, yeah, I became the uh, interim artistic director of the Barnstormers Theater in Tamworth, New Hampshire. And uh, this theater is where I got my first job ever as an actor in 2010. So I like literally grew up here uh, personally and professionally. And um, when they went through a change of leadership earlier this year, they asked if I would interview for this position and I did, and then they appointed me. And so here I am. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, especially coming out of like, this shit storm we were in with no theater to like land this gig at a place you're so comfortable with must be incredible. Yeah. I mean, we've all been going through this feeling, I think recently of going from zero to a hundred all of a sudden. Mm. And I really felt that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are feeling that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on the gig. So how, but how have you been through the whole pandemic? Give us like a little overview of how things have been going for you. Sure. I mean, uh, the pandemic was super interesting for me. Honestly, a lot of personal good came out of it. And I sort of say that knowing that there was a lot of pain and a lot of suffering for a lot of other folks. But it was a time in my life that offered me the chance to hit the reset button, to really focus on my body and my health and my mind. And and I have things in my life now that I don't think I would have had uh, if not for this pandemic. The fact that I'm also in grad school was a decision I chose to pursue Whoa. last year during the summer. This job falling into my lap. Uh, so lots of good things came out of this time, which I'm very grateful for. Thank you. What's grad school like during a pandemic? <laughs> it's been wild. It's been good. So I, I'm studying at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And they have mm-hmm. an online program they've run online for the past six years. So they're totally used to the online format. It's an MBA in finance and business. So it's a business degree. I don't have any intention to leave the theater industry, but I just felt like this would be Mm. training and education that would make me a better producer, that would make me better at at things that I have lots of interest in, like finance, investing, marketing, all kinds of things. So I saw uh, this time in life as a chance to sort of dive into that and and get a lot of that accomplished while I was waiting for the the industry to reopen. So you're not going to become the next Michael Scott and sell your own paper? (laughs) (laughs) Not as of yet, but we'll see. We don't know what the future holds. I love the office. I had to to make an office. Oh, I do too. It's great. (laughs) I literally was like, I don't understand that joke, but I'm just going to (laughs) smile. Samantha. I know, Jason. I will one of these days, I promise. Speaking of of work, of jobs, what was your best survival job and why? My best survival job, this is pretty easy for me. I had a long running stint at a restaurant inside of Macy's on 34th Street. 
It was called oh. Stella 34 Trattoria. And I worked there three different times over the course of, I think it was like five or six years. And I helped open that restaurant back in the spring of 2013. I left, yeah. I did a show, I came back, I stayed there for a year, I left for two years. Then I went back and I stayed there again for a year and a half. It, it was a wild place to work. I mean, I'll talk a little bit about what it was like to work in Macy's, especially around the holiday season, but it was also <laughs> one of my favorite jobs in its, its own wild and weird and unique way. Wow. I didn't know you yeah. opened it. Yeah. And actually in terms of all my survival <laughs> jobs, I don't know if this was like a, a blessing or a thing I was cursed with. I only opened restaurants. I worked at like three different restaurants and I opened all three of them, which was funny. Wow. I mean, folks that work in restaurants know like when a restaurant is opening, it's hard to get it off the ground. The tips aren't very good. You're yeah. still shit out left and For right. Sure. And I went through that three different times, which was crazy. <laughs> I have shivers thinking about that just with like the chef you know you always have the issues in restaurants with like front of house and back of house and like chefs are sorry to if this is offensive to anybody but like a little <laughs> bit fucking crazy and oh, like yeah. you know when it's their <laughs> food they're very crazy so I can't even imagine what that was like trying to sell food and like deal with allergies and menu descriptions with like chefs just opening a restaurant not to mention half of our guests not speaking English. I mean, we had the biggest tourist population oh, you could imagine yeah. at Macy's. People were literally coming in with their luggage from the airport and sitting down for lunch. And wow. so, yeah, dealing with a crazy chef who wants to throw things at you while you're talking to a table that only speaks Mandarin. It was a wild time. Oh, shit. That's don't intense. You, <laughs> don't you speak something you, you speak I speak a, a little Japanese like, yes, yeah. yes so I spent <laughs> time something. in Japan I spent four months living in Japan performing and then I went back and worked at this restaurant and whenever a Japanese uh family table client would come in I did speak Japanese with them which was the I had a lot of fun doing oh. that okay so that was your best do you have a worse survival job yeah and so I've only ever really worked in restaurants but a different restaurant I worked in in the West Village was just a bad situation because it was a smaller place and you'd think that might be easier than a Macy's situation, but they were open till super late at night, open till 2 a.m. And we would get like one table coming in between 1130 and 2 a.m. And we'd have to stay open for them. The that money sucks. was no good. The systems were no good. The kitchen was a mess. Like that was a hard situation to be in. <laughs> that just gave me shivers again, too. I'm like, oh, my God, the kitchen was a mess. The systems are no good. Like managers <laughs> are all over the place. The other thing I didn't I like about <laughs> this restaurant that was tough was I was still acting at the time. And the one thing I wanted in these jobs was a lot of flexibility. And so at the smaller restaurant, yeah, you might think it's a better situation, but there might be only two servers working. And then if I needed to switch a shift, it was like nearly impossible to switch shifts with people. So I could never get time off for auditions, for rehearsals, for whatever I was trying to do. And that was really tough versus Macy's. There were like 14 servers on the floor at any time. And I, we could always trade shifts with each other. Right. And also if you're working until 2am and you need to get up at the ass crack of dawn to sign up on a list, like you're going to be tired and not available. Yeah. Yeah. And it was dinner only. The The West Village restaurant, I was working there at night, again, until super late and then trying to get up early versus Macy's at least had good lunch shifts. And I preferred that yeah. because I, you could yeah. get more flexibility. I don't know. Restaurants have such a I don't know if you guys feel like this, but like a toxic environment almost where after your server shifts, everyone's going to go for a drink and you want to be social, but then now you're drunk and then now it's two and then you <laughs> sleep until, you know, 11 and then you 
work out and then go back to work and you're like not doing the thing you set yourself to do in New York. So yeah. I feel like it's a, you really need to have that self-control. And that was fun when I was young, when I was 23 and I was first yeah. working at Stella. Like that was so fun. I loved going out. We used to go do karaoke in K-Town after the shifts and we'd be out there Aww. till two in the morning, like with our own private room. It was great. And then when you're 28, it's like, oh, this isn't what it used to be. I gotta, I gotta start taking care of myself. Joe, so let's, let's change gears a little bit. Yeah. You're a producer, right? You produce for the Broadway, which is like every theater kid's dream. So like, can you explain how the hell does someone get into producing a fucking Broadway show? Excuse my sure. language. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. I mean, it's been a wild ride. It's been great. So yeah, I started as an actor, but eventually I found my way to the backstage part of the business, which to be honest, I didn't mm. even really know existed until, I mean, obviously I knew it was out there. I knew there were people that produced shows and there must be people that were working on shows behind the scenes. But when yeah. you're a young person and you fall in love with theater, what you see are the actors on the stage and you want to be yeah. a part of it in that capacity. For um, sure. So I would say in my mid twenties, I, with my business partner, Ben Simpson, shout out. Shout we, out. He does not listen. We can he shout him out. He has not listened to one episode. So he, fuck him. All right. He doesn't know what he's, he doesn't know what he's missing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, really. we, we started managing theatrical events together at the New York Musical Festival, uh, New York Musical Theater Festival, RIP. So I started to get a sense there of what it was like to work behind the scenes. It was a, a process I really enjoyed because it still satisfied me creatively to be working on a show, to be mm -hmm. working with designers all the time, to be talking to directors and technicians and putting budgets together and things like that. But there was sure. a little bit more stability in it, which I also enjoyed. It was, you know, we're still, mm -hmm. as a business owner, Ben and I are constantly looking for new work, looking for new projects to work on, but it's not the same. It wasn't the same to me as grinding it out as an actor and getting up to audition every day. We had a little bit more control over the work and the flow of the work. And, and I enjoyed that aspect of it. But in terms of producing, we first got started producing by raising money for a show called Fun Home on Broadway. Yeah. And that was a fun little story of there was a, a connection that reached out to us, a gentleman named Nathan, who became a business partner of ours eventually. Shout out to Nathan. I think he listens. <laughs> okay. Yeah. One more shout out. Shout out to Nathan. That's Nathan. <laughs> and uh, we teamed up with Nathan. We raised some money for Fun Home, which went really well. And then that set Ben and I on a path towards raising more money for more shows. So after that, we raised some money for Waitress. We raised money for wow. Hello on Broadway. And Hello. this thing really snowballed. I mean, with Fun Home, we had one partner, one investor on the show who put some money in and then it went really mm -hmm. well. So it gave us the ability to go to more people for our next show, which was Waitress and say, hey, we just did this and it went well. Our investor made money. You should do this as well. Yeah. So we went from having the one investor to having, I think, 10 or 11 on Waitress to all of a sudden, you know, meeting more people and more people uh, eventually maybe we have a Rolodex that's 20 or 25 investors that have worked with us in the past. So the first time it was just like, Hmm, I'm going to call so-and-so like, hello, sir. You have lots of money. We're doing a show. Would you like to give us X, Y, Z? Was it just like that? <laughs> More or less. Yeah. It's, it is developing the confidence to talk to those people and to talk to them about investing as an opportunity and not just something to do, you know, to support us. That's amazing. Right, because if, if the show's successful, an investor's going to, like, profit in the long haul. And also, it's fun to be involved in the arts. Yeah, it's a, it's a risky yeah. business. It's a risky investment in that, you know, the old statistic is two out of 10 shows make their money back on Broadway. But to Sam's point, investors that are investing in the arts are doing it for more than just the money. They like the experience of it. Some of them like going to opening night, meeting the celebrities, 
there are chances yeah. for lots of future participation. So a show like Spelling Bee is a great example where it was a decent hit on Broadway, but it's been a mega hit in licensing in in community yeah. theaters and schools. And so there are long-term possibilities that are really exciting in these theatrical investments. I mean, listen, if I had the money to invest so I can go to every opening night, I would. <laughs> listen, I love a good opening night. I cannot wait. Sure you do, Sam. Hope in the new world, <laughs> opening nights come back in a big way. That sounds great. I mean, you need to have enough money to invest in the shows. And then, God, you need to have enough money to buy the drinks at concession at intermission. It's like going uh, to a sporting event. It's crazy. I know, but no more shows in the new world. I, I heard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, that'll save me $35 on a double Cabernet. <laughs> you, might, you might get a glass though a souvenir glass exactly <laughs> so you said uh, you know cool. you were an actor prior so what was that trend i know you talked about it a little bit but what was that transition like was it hard to leave the acting world was it like something you had to sit and think about and would you ever consider like once you are like in a little bit more of a stable position with your business also can like this is a three questions in one can you also talk <laughs> about broadway joe and the finance blog that you made so yeah part one is like how was that transition from acting to producing general management would you ever go back to acting tell us about Broadway Joe <laughs> that's a great question Sam my transition was really hard I would say it was hard because it was a slow burn for me I mean the thoughts started to creep into my mind slowly that I might enjoy management and producing more than I was enjoying acting and it's hard to to get out of that headspace. I mean, when you've put so much time and energy into training to do one thing, I mean, I spent years and went to conservatory and took acting classes in New York and voice lessons. And I put all this time and effort into being the best actor and performer I could be. So then to start to entertain the idea of doing something different was just hard for me because I, uh, I had to wrestle with the idea of not giving up on something, but sort of pivoting and exploring something new. But ultimately, I, I'm glad I did because I, I am happier where I landed. And it, But it was a hard process to go through. To your second part of your question, I would love to perform again. The, I do consider myself an artist and outside of producing and the work I do backstage, I mean, I still love to sing. I still play guitar a whole ton as a big passion of mine. Um, so there is an artistic side of me that likes to express in that way. And I think at one point in my career, transitioning to producing and management, I thought that I would have to give up performing altogether. And mm. in the past year, it's something else the pandemic gave me, honestly. I've come to learn or maybe think that I, I could see myself on stage again one day, not in a full-time capacity, not pursuing it as a career. But the nice thing is I get to enjoy it as a hobby in my life from this point going forward. By the way, like opinion for me is like, training and doing all the acting I think really informed who you are as a producer right yes. like then you can tell like work that you want to produce and because you know how to like break down a script and characters and you can understand it in a way that somebody who doesn't have that training yes you know I mean? Ben and I have always said that that the fact that I'll say it for myself personally the fact that I trained in musical theater performance it gave me a deep mm -hmm. understanding of of what I value in storytelling, what I value in theater. And it gave me, I think, an ability to dissect uh, theater in, a, in an intelligent, professional way. So it's come in useful, absolutely, in picking projects we want to produce. It's definitely come in use um, when I'm developing new projects from the ground up. I have a, a sort of integral part of the creative process as a creative producer. And so to be able to give meaningful notes, to be able to speak the same language as a writer, as a director, has been really useful to me. 
Sam, you asked about creative finance with Broadway Joe. Yes, yes. let's talk about that too. Yeah, so this has become a passion of mine in the past two years now, uh, personal finance, money management. And what I started to notice was that there was a big hole in the theater industry, specifically and in the arts industries, that uh, this was something that was not taught in college. It's not something that theater people necessarily understand how to invest their money, what to do with money, how to manage it. So I decided that I wanted to start a blog that would just communicate what I knew, what I was learning, hopefully impart some knowledge on, on folks within the industry so that people can take more ownership of their money and just set themselves up better for the future. There's an education there that I think is attainable to everyone. And it's really important to learn about because it's going to depend the way the rest of your, it's going to have an impact on the way the rest of your life plays out in terms of how comfortable you can be into your old age as you get closer and closer to retirement. Right. And still be able to be an artist and not be like a struggling actor. Yeah. Sign my ass up. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I bought stocks during uh, when they were like, buy AMC, buy Nokia. So I, I spent you know, a little money buying AMC and it's like going up. I'm like, oh, okay. I got $200. Okay. Like, cool. this yeah. <laughs> well, and investing is a means of growing wealth and it's important. Uh, there's a concept within the personal finance community, which I love. It's called FIRE. It's not something I'm pursuing, but it's an acronym that stands for financial independence, retire early. And I think particularly within the arts community, it's a useful idea in the sense that what it means is you have enough money, enough wealth to retire and live off your investments and do whatever you want with life. And I think that is a romantic idea for an artist in particular, because I think, you know, if you ask an artist, like, what do they want to do most? They want to devote their time to their craft. And so if you can set yourself up financially in a way that you can just live comfortably off of the hard work and the investing you've done, and you get to just act or paint or sing or dance for the rest of your life, that's, uh, I think that's really exciting to a lot of people. I want that. <laughs> How do we get that? Come on. Come on, Sam. We need this. I know. Manifest <laughs> it. Tell the universe. And then we'll call Broadway Joe to help us. <laughs> what was your favorite show that you co-produced so far? My favorite show that I co-produced, I would say it was probably Waitress. Oh my God. I was crying the whole time. Yeah, so it, might be, it might be a tie. I'll give the second place the runner up in a second. But Waitress was just, it was our first. And you'll always remember your first show with your name above the title on Broadway. It was, that was a beautiful experience. And the yeah. fact that it had such a wonderful celebrated run without winning major awards. I mean, Waitress came out in the Hamilton year and Hamilton bulldozed through the Tony Awards. And at the end <laughs> of the day, Waitress didn't need it. It was just a great show that people loved. And so it, it mm. stood up on its own. It went out on tour, it went to London, it's in Japan and Australia, it's going all over the world. And I just think it's because it's a great story. It's about, you know, female empowerment, about sort of taking mm. charge of your life and, and taking charge of the direction of your life. And that's something that everyone can relate to. And, and the music's wonderful. I mean, Sarah Bareilles just wrote a top-notch oh. score, which people fell in love with night after night. Well, the runner-up is, uh, oh, runner. hello. I th that's what I thought you were gonna <laughs> say at first. Oh, Hello was so much fun. I mean, that was the kind of show. Uh, I really enjoyed Oh, Hello, too. I'll, I'll be a little braggadocious. I went to my business partner, Ben, and I said, we have to do this. And he was like, I don't get it. I don't know who these guys are. And I said, it doesn't oh. matter. They are the funniest two guys you've never heard of. And this is going to work. And it did work. And it was super fun to be a part of. Incredible. Jason, You have you seen it on Netflix? You must. Is it still on? No, I haven't seen it. It's on Netflix. It's so worth watching. Um, yeah. It was... They had a celebrity guest every night. Oh, yeah. It was just a lot of fun. <laughs> it was fun. And by the way, Jason, eat a, definitely eat a pot gummy before you watch it. 
at fight pro tip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is legalized in Connecticut today. So there we oh, go. There you go. Good today? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think Governor Lamont was signing it for today. Oh, wow. How exciting. Yeah. Congratulations to Connecticut. That's it. That's the whole, the whole tri-state is legal now. <laughs> oh, yeah, hello is my first opening night, by the way. Just want to make that point too. Okay, Joe, so those were your favorite co-producing moments, but can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to your first times being a lead producer, which was Oscar at the Crown and Dear Dead Drug Lord, but mostly I, I really want to know what it was like for Dear Dead Drug Lord, because I feel like that's very different experience, but I'll let you. Sure, sure. Yeah, so that. this has been an exciting part of my career, <laughs> transitioning from co-producing to lead producing. And just for the listeners that might not know, the difference is mm. as a co-producer, you have sort of an investment position on the show. You're out there raising capital, raising money to make the show happen, but you're not in charge of the day-to-day decision-making or the sort of macro decision-making and strategy versus lead producer is like being the CEO of the company. And so you are out there also fundraising and and finding co-producers and investors to make your show come to life, but you do get to make day-to-day decisions and sort of the buck stops with you in terms of of what's going to happen with the future of the show uh, at every at every turn. Yeah. As Sam mentioned, I started lead producing in 2019. We lead produced a show called Oscar at the Crown, which played out in Brooklyn at $3 Bill, which was a fabulous and fantastic sort of really cool immersive theatrical experience. Um, yes. it's, it's this idea of what happens in a future post-apocalyptic world in a bunker where all this tribe of people know are the works of Oscar Wilde and the Real Housewives and, and what becomes of that little <laughs> that little tribe. Super fun, really fun times. And then we also lead produced in the same year, our, our Dear Dead Drug Lord was a play that played off Broadway at the WP Theater. It actually had a non-for-profit run with WP and Second Stage, and then Ben and I took it over as lead commercial producers and extended it an additional nine weeks through the end of 2019 into 2020. We were the lead producers, so we got to make all the big decisions there. We were in charge of the marketing, the advertising, the ticket sale strategy, everything. And it was a a beautiful experience because we loved the play from the moment we met the play, which was probably two years before that, we saw a developmental production in Boston. But to see something come to life that you've had a long history with was really cool. And we we were proud to be a part of of the decision-making in that process. And also it had wild success, didn't it? Yeah, very critically claimed. Award-winning. We had um, a nice run. We we ran. I think all in all, it was our nine weeks plus like six weeks from the non-for-profit run. So it had a 15-week run off Broadway, which wow. is pretty good for an off-Broadway play. And our audiences loved it. I mean, more than anything, I just sat in the audience night after night, and to see folks respond to the play was a joy every night. Definitely shocking moments in that play. <laughs> there were definitely there were. big shocks happening there it was uh i won't spoil anything but it was a 90 minute play which was about 82 minutes of comedy and then like eight minutes of quentin tarantino uh violence and darkness and (laughs) like in a major way (laughs) yeah and you know what i never apologized for it every time anyone wanted to talk about it i would say the the play featured these four young amazing women and i would say to folks if it was four young men you know on stage committing similar acts of violence you wouldn't think twice about it because we're trained Mm. we're accustomed to see that in film and tv and on stage but the fact that it was women i think really turned people and like young women young women i put it back in their face and say you know this is them this is them displaying their power the power of that a young woman has as well hell yeah 
And that's what <laughs> I think made the play important. I agree. Is that important to you when you're like picking projects, like representation? Because I, I didn't know it was for women, but I see the picture now behind Samantha. So obviously, yeah. it looks like it's a pretty diverse group of women, which like having the opportunity of an all-woman show. Like, is that something that's important to you? Absolutely. And it's something, yeah. it's something I think about as a, as a white male producer, absolutely, that I have a sort of a given power and authority and privilege, and it's my responsibility to go out and to create other opportunities for folks that don't look like me. In the case of Drug yeah. Lord, you know, Ben and I even thought to ourselves at one point, are we the kinds of people that should be producing this play? And ultimately, in conversations with our mentors and our peers, the, the consensus was, if you have the ability and the power to make this play happen, then you're doing something good in the world and you shouldn't be ashamed of that. There's nothing wrong with that. So I was, sure. I, I, do, I do look for that in my work and I was happy with, with that project in particular to, to bring some, some other voices to the table. Oh, I love that. <laughs> we always say I love that. But and I really we just, that. <laughs> yeah, I do too, that's great. And the, the actresses were all so wonderful and like perfect for the roles. This one, yeah. Carmen, Chicken Carm, incredible. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll I give her a shout. Her. Yeah, and it's it's cool the relationships you make. I mean, I'll give a shout out. Carmen is actually going to come up to the Barnstormers this summer to play <gasps> a role in one of our plays. She's going to be our Emily in the opening production of Our Town. And oh, that, amazing! Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm super excited, and that's because you know we got to work together on Drug Lord, and you make um, connections happen in the industry that hopefully extend beyond the life of just one project and. And that's uh, another, I think, a joy of the business is just working with great talent over and over again. That's amazing. Speaking of, you know, younger talent and whatnot, do you have any advice for anyone who wants a career in theater or who wants to eventually produce? And what is your dream collaboration as well? Uh, my advice would be don't be afraid of, of the things that um, are, make you unique and the things that people tell you you ought not to be doing. You know, as it relates to me, I waited through the beginning of my career and felt like I had to be dedicated to certain things. When I was acting, I thought, oh, I have to be an actor and that's my purpose. And then when I started producing, yeah. I thought, oh, I have to be a producer and I, I can't really focus on other things. I've got to make that my purpose and my focus. And now what I've come to learn at least at 31 years old is that I can and should do everything. I can do everything that I want to do. If I want to take guitar lessons every week, I, I do that because it brings me joy. If I yes. do decide I want to be on stage one day, I'll, I'll find the right time and the opportunity to get back on stage and to play a role that excites me. Um, yeah. So I just say, keep yourself open to every opportunity and, and be as multi-hyphenated as you want to be. I love that. I feel like there's like this thing where like, if you're not like the best at something, you shouldn't do it. And it's like, no, something brings you joy. Something is like, is something that's going to be fulfilling to you. Like you don't have to be the best at the best at it, but if it's something in your life that's going to bring you joy, like why not take a guitar lesson or a voice lesson? Or yeah. not talk about you, Joe. I'm sure you're a fantastic guitar player. Yes. <laughs> I just mean in general, like people in general. There's like sure. this expectation to like not pursue things if you're not the best at it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mariska Hargitay says a quote um, in her commencement speech because I love her. Obviously, uh, <laughs> something you just said, Joe. I think you said something about being open right she says keep the doors to your heart open to the unexpected mm. like whatever comes your way just be open to it and if it, exactly if it makes you happy do it who cares what people think i'm telling you when i go back to new york from this next mm. chapter i'm gonna do what i want and not be scared of like judgment but honestly also <laughs> it's it's the way my blog started i mean i held myself back for a little while in thinking you know when you when you blog when you do a podcast when you create new media 
yeah. there's a fear of will people like this? Will they accept it? Will right. I come across as dumb or whatever? And I ultimately I threw those um, those those ghosts out the door and I said I don't care. You know I feel like I have something that I can share. People that I do share with tell me that it's something that helps them, and so I'm going to share with a broader audience. And, and that's how I started my blog. And so I'm I'm glad I was able to get past those demons and just get over the hurdles that you need to get over to start something. Yeah. There will always be haters and people who are going to judge. And then at the end of the day, those people are just like sad and dealing with their own shit and projecting their shit on other people. They they should go see my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. That's super Um, exciting. Wait, Joe. So the second part of that question was, do you have a dream like collaboration? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That is a great question. Or a project. Or a project. project I don't know that I have a dream collaboration or project and I'm I'll just Mm. go on the record and say I think that's okay I know you know I know the kind of art that I want to make and I know the kinds of people I like to work with and I think if I keep chasing those two things then I'm just going to continue to satisfy the part of me that loves doing what I'm doing I oftentimes I'll see a movie or I'll read a book or see something and I think it would make a great adaptation of a stage play ultimately it has to be a right time right place situation and so it's hard to say It's a fantastic answer, though. <laughs> it is. No, right time, right place. It's so yeah, true. Exactly. Just keep the doors to your heart open to the unexpected and then take yeah. whatever <laughs> comes, right? Yeah. Okay, Joe, we're wrapping up and then we're going to play a super fun game. And I give Jason all the game credit every episode because he is much better at coming up. But this is my favorite question, <laughs> and it is the following. If you had to work your worst survival job, for the rest of your life to have your dream artistic life for three years, but then have to go back to your shitty worst survival job. But you could still be creative, but you'd still have to be working at that West Village restaurant with one table between 11 and two. (laughs) But then on the weekends, you could be acting, producing, doing all the things. Would you do it? I Well, I think to answer your question, I would not do it because Mm. I'm a firm believer that I'm not a believer in my life, I place a high importance on legacy. And I think what that means for me is that I'm constantly thinking beyond the short term. I'm thinking beyond one year, two years, three years, knowing that I have a lifetime ahead of me to do all the things that I'm excited about doing. And so I could never commit to that because to only have three years. I mean, I, I see a a longer future uh, in what I want to be doing and, you know, the idea of legacy is very important to me. It's something I'm constantly thinking about. Me too, recently. Whoa. Yeah. And I, think, I think it comes out too in my interest in finance, like understanding in investing and in finances that when you invest, you're investing for 10, 20, 30, 40 years to build wealth. It's like a concept mm. we, we can't comprehend. And that's why it's hard to get a young person interested in finance and investing. But once you start to understand the power of 40 years, it's, it can change your life. It can change the direction of every decision you make. And so I wouldn't be able to commit to a short-term adventure knowing that there's still a lifetime of possibility ahead of me. Wow. That was nice. That was a great answer. He's preaching just like Keith was preaching. <laughs> there you go. They're cut from <laughs> That's the why our friends. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Amazing. So we're going to play a fun, fun game. Jason, do you want to talk about it since it came from your brain? Yeah, it's called I want to be a producer. Basically, we're going to give you some true or false statements about people they've ever produced a Broadway show before. And you let us know if it's true or false. Okay. Jason, cue the music. Cue the music. True or false. Did Jay-Z produce a Broadway show before? False. 
I'm off to a great produced, start. He produced Fela on Broadway. I don't think Fela. it was on Broadway for long. Sure. But uh, he produced with Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, okay. wow. Who knew? Yeah. Okay, yeah. next, Joe. True or false? Did Whoopi Goldberg produce The Color Purple? True. Mm. False. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not. no. It's okay. You're still, you know what? You still get 100% from all the wisdom you were spitting out today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, she didn't produce The Color Purple. Oprah did. <laughs> yes, that's right. True or false? John Legend was a co-producer on SpongeBob the Musical. False. He was a writer. Correct. Yeah. Bing, Good bing, job. Bing. He did. <laughs> Joe. True or false? Lauren Michaels of SNL fame produced Mean Girls. True. Correct. Yes. Has to be true. True or false? Rosie O'Donnell co-produced Hairspray. I think it's false. Correct. Yes, you're right. Good. Ding, okay, ding, good. ding. You're really making a big <laughs> comeback. I'm really happy for you. <laughs> True or false, Christina Aguilera made her Broadway producing debut as a producer for Moulin Rouge. False. Correct. Correct. You made a yes. comeback in a big way, and oh, we're good. giving you 100 for the wisdom and the comeback. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's uh, scaled. It's a scaled grade. It's for the recovery. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're the king of the comeback. <laughs> the king of the comeback. Yay, Joe. Thanks for coming on. We had a good time. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Did you yeah, have fun? Wait. Yeah, I think um, I love that you guys are doing this. I think it's really interesting to hear the backstory around, you know, how folks made their money, how they survived literally while they pursued, you know, what was most important to them. And for me, I mean, the only thing I'll add is like my survival jobs also brought me a lot of joy over the years. I really loved working at Macy's. I made friends that became family there. I learned a lot about Mm -hmm. different kinds of people and I grew up and became an adult. And so these things can also have, have a positive influence on your life. Joe, where can we find you so we can follow you and support you and see what's next for you on, on social media? Yeah, sure. those handles. I would say go to my Instagram. That's where I'm most active at Joe Longhorn yeah. or find my blog. It's www.creativefinancebroadwayjoe.com. Just all one word. And yes. uh, those are the best two places to sort of see what I'm up to. Uh, and by the way, people, if you're not following us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Survival Jobs Pod and on Facebook at Survival Jobs a Podcast. And one day soon, we will have a website. One day soon. <laughs> I started that um, in the end of March. <laughs> not done. <laughs> You'll get there. For season two. We'll definitely have it ready for season you're two. You're so funny, Samantha. I'm also happy to talk with you. Oh, you're Jason, hilarious. Don't make me cry. <laughs> And Joe, it was Joe. wonderful to chat with you too and meet you. Thank you. So sweet and wonderful to meet you too, Jason. Great it's to so see good Samantha. to see you, Joe. I know. I was like, every time we do this, you know, a lot of the times we're bringing on friends and I'm like, God damn, I haven't seen anybody in person. I can't wait to see you in the flesh. Yeah. Agreed. I do want to let you know the Glass House Tavern is reopening. I heard. Super <laughs> Very excited. soon. Shout out to Glass House in a major way. Well, thank you so much, Joe. We love you. And thank I'm you. Coming on. You had great, great wisdom. Oh, thank yeah. you. I've enjoyed listening and best of luck with all your future episodes, too. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.